This season of The Ready State is sponsored by ButcherBox. Yeah, you know, we have been, we get asked a lot about nutrition. A couple things. One, your tissue quality is directly impacted by the quality of things you eat, unequivocally. And I think we can pretty much boil down all of the uh, information I know about nutrition into one sentence. Don't eat like an asshole. Here's the deal with ButcherBox. We've used it. We love it. You get a box of super beautiful grass-fed or finished beef, free-range chicken, and old-world pork, whatever that is. <laughs> it's like vintage pork. No, no. But here's the deal. I love bacon. You love bacon. Use our link. We'll get you $20 off and get some free bacon. And it's 9 to 11 pounds of meat for $129 a month, which is less than $6 a meal. I mean, forever we have been saying you should probably eat like a vegan plus the best meat you can afford. Vegan plus meat. And guess what? ButcherBox is that. It's, it's amazing. You like meat and want to avoid eating like an asshole and you love free bacon, go to butcherbox.com slash the ready state and you'll get $20 off and free bacon. No brainer. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And this is The Ready State. You got it! You better stop it! You got it! I am so excited to welcome Chris Bell to the podcast today. He happens to be the brother of my best friend, Mark Bell, <laughs> from Super Training Gym. Uh, second best friend next to you, of course, Kelly. That's not true. You don't have to say that. Second best friend. But look, it, you have run into Chris because of his. he's a documentary filmmaker, an award-winning documentary filmmaker, Bigger, Stronger, Faster, Trophy Kids, Prescription Thugs, and his, his new documentary just actually came out called Leaf of Faith. We felt like this season we could not talk about pain without, of course, acknowledging the gigantic opioid epidemic yeah, it's an in, elephant in the room. Yeah, and how people are treating pain. And Leaf of Faith is a documentary about Kratom, which is a supplement that's potentially an alternative therapy for pain. And Chris has become somewhat of an expert on it. Yeah, and, and has a personal experience and personal relationship with uh, opiate destruction, the, the destructive nature of opiates in our society. So, you know, going to the source and talking to a person who is sort of on the other side of the wall, looking back in saying, hey, we're going to have to have a conversation about this as, as, a, as a culture. True fact. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation with Chris Bell. Enjoy, you guys. I just want to get your name right. Is it Chris Bell or is it Chris Bell? Well, however you want to say it, brother. First of all, Chris Bell, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, and we'll just get started. Um, well, I was just going to start by saying what we're talking about on this season of The Ready State is pain. And you obviously can't really talk about pain without acknowledging the use of all the drugs we use to treat pain. Um, and obviously your 2015 movie Prescription Thugs, which I loved, was a documentary about opioid addiction and big pharma and um, your own experience. But later this month, um, you are releasing another documentary called A Leaf of Faith, and it's about Kratom, which is potentially an alternative therapy for pain. So I just want to get started today by asking you, what even is Kratom? Sure. Well, Kratom is a plant, comes from uh, Southeast Asia. It's in the same family as the coffee plant, which a lot of people in our country really, really love. So, um, you know, when I first <clears throat> heard about it, um, I thought that it didn't work. I thought there's no way that something natural that, you know, just comes off of a tree is going to help my pain because I've been through all the crazy painkillers. You know, I've been through uh, Vicodin, Percocet, Oxycontin, Roxycontin, Roxycodone, 
<laughs> Oxycontin, you name it, I've I've taken it. You know, I don't even fentanyl. know what Roxycontin is. Yeah, it's just another one. I mean, there's so many opioids. Um, so I've taken all of them and tried them, and I, I didn't think there was any way that something from a plant could help me. But I think the big difference uh, with kratom is that um, it doesn't really get you uh, as loopy or high as the other plants, and therefore, like I could take more of it and uh, had these breakthroughs with pain that I was never able to have before. And so, um, you know, for for me, taking it at um, fairly high doses, I, I take about 10 capsules uh, every morning and it actually completely erases my arthritis. It's almost like as if it doesn't exist. And that's really hard to explain to people. And it's, you know, there's been no real clinical trials on this stuff or anything. So it's just kind of me saying it. And that's sort of the hard part. And that's why I'm uh, fighting the government on this because uh, there's, it's not, it's it's not out there. People don't know about it yet. And it's uh, that scares a lot of people. So I, I know there's a lot of controversy about it and we'll definitely get to that in a minute. But do you get a buzz from Kratom or a high? And is it different from like Oxy or fentanyl? That's a, a slippery slope. It's an interesting thing because I'm uh, supposedly sober. Right. And a lot of people don't like to say that I am sober because, uh, you know, <laughs> because I take Kratom or whatever. Uh, but what I've learned in the course of making the movie and talking to people from Cliffside Malibu who got me sober is that sobriety is for yourself. So uh, as long as you're doing what you need to do and and honest about what you need to get done in life, um, if you're taking something to alleviate that pain and it makes you feel good, then I don't see a problem with it. So I should say, yes, it does make me feel a little bit uh, high or just maybe uh, maybe that's just feeling good. Because when you're right, in a lot of you're pain, not in pain, it's hard to know what feeling good feels like. Like maybe, maybe I think that you feel high all the time just because you're not in pain. But for to take somebody that's in a lot of pain and then all of a sudden they feel good, of course it's an altered state of being. It's it's altered from feeling shitty. So um, <laughs> I don't I don't really know if I'm necessarily high or if it just when I feel good I tend to be happier and uh, say hi to everybody. I, it's hard to tell. <laughs> let, let me let me just put some context for the people who should know you, but maybe don't know you. I mean, we've known each other for about a decade now and run into each other. And I've certainly been what I call Chris Bell aware since, uh, you know, bigger, faster, stronger came out. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you have a well-documented, well, very public experience with battling addiction secondary to pain. Right. I mean, I uh -huh. think what I, what I want to give people the context around this is Kratom is not a, you didn't stumble out to say, hey, look, we're, we're trying to battle big pharma. We see a relationship between a plant that, you know, is not regulated. It means it's a over-the-counter kind of, you know, you know, supplement right now that's changed your life. But ultimately, I, I mean, can you talk about your sort of hip disease and your experience with yeah. that first? Because it's, I think I think this the framework for people is that you have been battling pain for a long time. And that just yeah. seems to be such a common underlying story behind this whole opioid addiction problem we have in our country. I mean, it seems sure. like almost everybody starts their addiction um, in a pretty normal way, which is they have a surgery or some kind of injury or they're in some kind of chronic pain. And then, you know, it's yeah. opioids and then heroin and the whole track. It's funny because my brother uh, has said that uh, it almost seems fake, like the, the way that this movie came about. He's like, it almost seems like it was like destined to happen. It almost feels like it was fake. 
Like I had the ultimate dilemma where I had gotten sober off of prescription painkillers. I was really deep involved in prescription painkillers and a really heavily alcoholic because of uh, being in pain and not being able to sleep. So I just drink myself to sleep. And, um, you know, at the end of that, I had to get sober. There was no other way I would have, I would have ended up dead. And for those of people that don't know, our older brother did end up dead. So that runs in our family, um, from addiction. So it's, it's a scary, you know, thing. So I definitely had to get sober. There was no other choice, but when I got sober, what was unique about it was I was still in a lot of pain. And so a lot of people get sober and they get over their drug addiction and that's it. You know, they're, they're good and they go on with their life. But for me, I was still in just as much pain as, you know, shortly after I had the surgery. Now, what happened with my hip replacement surgery, I had a double hip replacement surgery due to genetic conditions. And then uh, two years after my first surgery, they realized that the doctors realized that they had botched the first surgery and the hip had never taken. Um, it never really was uh, connected in there the right way. So for two years, I was, you know, in a lot of pain and being, you know, getting worse as far as my addiction goes um, during that time. So when uh, when all was said and done, and it ended about four years ago, uh, actually almost four years ago to, to the day, I just had my four-year sobriety date. But when it ended four years ago, you know, I knew I had to find something. I had to find a way to get out of pain. And the very first uh, thing that I, I found, luckily, was a friend of mine who's in prescription thugs. Uh, his name's Horseshoe. He was known for uh, taking 80 painkillers, 80 to 90 painkillers a day. And he was uh, one of the WWE's uh, top, uh, you know, top wrestlers for a while and uh, was Kurt Angle's bodyguard on TV and everything. And both him and Kurt Angle were heavily addicted to uh, opioid painkillers. It's just something that happens, you know, in wrestling. And um, he was able to find Kratom and now he sells it. Uh, but he actually found it. And uh, for, for him, it was a miracle right away. And uh, he just wanted to let me know about it. And that's sort of how it all started was I got a phone call from uh, this big wrestler saying, hey, bro, you ever tried Kratom, you know, and uh, and that's sort of how it all started for me with a kind of a shady phone call. And <laughs> then I realized it wasn't shady at all. I realized, uh, wow, this stuff is out there. It's on the market. Uh, the one thing that was weird to me was the only place that you seemed to be able to get Kratom was either in a smoke shop or online. And, um, and it's kind of seedy and shady in the fact that, you know, who buys their supplements from a smoke shop? And that was something <laughs> I, I'm, I'm being You're supposed serious. to get them at the vitamin shop, not the smoke shop. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something that has to change. And it's something that I believe will change. I believe Kratom's a billion dollar product waiting to happen. It's just that, uh, the right, it hasn't gotten in the right hands yet. You know, let me, let me ask you this. <clears throat> From the outside, again, we're family friends. That's how I describe us. You eat a diet that really is like pro-anti-inflammatory. You really are sort of conscious. You and your brother have really embraced this nutrition voyage. I know that you exercise like a demon. So it is obviously Mark, world champion Mark. <clears throat> yeah. So there are some things that I know that you guys are doing that are the big blocks around trying to create a system that's that's more resilient and less sensitizing to pain. We know that poor sleep and poor nutrition and poor movement can be kind of cofactors for, for chronic pain. When you were getting sober, because you've now come from this 
medical background where people are saying, hey, take these prescriptions for your chronic pain. And then that can spiral out of control as we've seen across the country. You also went through this really formal detox sobriety program. At what point were people talking to you about how to manage your pain? Because this is what we see around chronic opiate use and painkiller use is that people are just trying to self-medicate. They're just trying to solve their own problems. It's not that yeah. people set out with a nefarious purpose to destroy their lives. Right, really, probably, people are try, trying to cope. And they probably go into it You're, knowing that it's bad, how, but no one is giving what them What tools were, they, were given to you from your experience in hey, these talk processes? About, talk about something sounding fake or set up. This all actually started way back with you, Kelly. <laughs> um, you told me you were the fir very first person the very first person that made me realize there was a link between what we eat and how we move. And uh, I don't remember if you told me, it was before I even got sober, uh, you had told me you need to stop eating grains like it's your job. <laughs> and you, you flat out told me that. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't understand. Like a grain is gonna make me like inflamed. I have no idea. I had no idea. I had no idea that that was even a thing. And so um, I started on a paleo diet. The very first book I ever read was the Paleo Solution by our mutual friend, Rob Wolf, who I have the utmost respect for, and I've learned a lot from him uh, since then. And, um, but you know, realizing that there was actual link between what we eat and how we move was, was mind blowing to me. And I'm actually working on that every single day, still trying to pull things out of my diet or put things into my diet that are gonna help me with my mobility. And um, you know, since, since that, and since changing my diet and even going more towards a more anti-inflammatory diet. Like when you saw me, we did the last time I saw you, we were in a deadlift competition together. And um, as, I did as friends do, I, I had a 400 pound deadlift in that meet. And since then I've deadlifted 500, but it's because I can move, you know, and I know it's not up to the 600 where you're at, but I told you that I'm gunning for that for next year for this next event that Mark has. So I'm going to try to catch up to you and see if we can do it. If we can get the pain out. If we can get the pain out of there, we can do it. Well, so so I really appreciate that that you are, have been looking at these environmental cofactors for a while now. But once again, when you were coming when pain is sometimes the root cause of this, and that's really what's led you to this discovery about Kratom and how you're, you know, you've solved the problem of substitution with, you know, this 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 plant. But what was the formal conversation around pain management in, in, cause I think we're having this type one error or, everywhere. Or, or did you even have, did you a get any Yeah, Did anyone have a conversation no, with no, you about it no, or not, give you any advice? No, 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 not at all. And that's <laughs> the problem. Like, so the biggest, the biggest problem in life in, in, in life in general is that people go, well, did you ask your doctor? And I'm mm -hmm. like, no, why would I ask my doctor? The doctors are the ones that screwed me up. Like the doctors are the ones that caused the opioid epidemic. They're the ones that, that um, operated on my hip and caused the pain. I'm not gonna ask a doctor. I need to figure out my way around it. And I think that's a huge thing that most people don't do is they, they, we put our healthcare and our health in the hands of the doctor because we trust the doctor, but the doctor doesn't know. And that's, I think, where we fail because our doctors are taught to fix disease, to plug a hole when there's a hole. They're not taught to prevent it. And um, that's what we need to be teaching ourselves. And that's why I think a lot of people are missing the mark is they're, they're, not, um, they're not educating themselves. And then when there's something happens with them, they go ask a doctor and the doctor's just giving them age old advice 
that's been around forever. That hasn't, that's not based on any sort of like scientific data or scientific facts a lot of times. And when you look at our uh, health recommendations of what we're supposed to eat, a lot of that stuff's not even based on science. It's just based on things that have been around for a long time. So like, yeah, guess we should eat this. Guess we should eat that, you know, and um, people really need to set out and look for answers on their own because I think that was my biggest problem was I just trusted everybody and believed believed it and said, oh, doctor told me to take this pill. I'm going to take this pill and that's what's going to get me better. But I've found all of my answers outside of the medical community. So when you said like were people giving you answers or providing you with uh, with anything like the people that were providing me with answers were people like you guys. They were people um, that have had the injury or the disease themselves and said, I need to figure out a way around it. There are people like Tyler Cartwright, who runs a site called Keto Gains, who was 520 pounds. And no doctor told him how to get down to 220 pounds and be healthy from 500 pounds. He figured it out. And um, I, I actually, you know, as much as people want to talk about like, oh, there's no scientific evidence or this and that, it's all anecdotal evidence. I tend to follow the anecdotes because I think those are the people that are on the something. Those are the things that are working for people. You know, I remember there was a time when I was having a really frustrating experience with my own physician and came home and Kelly said, hey, you know, you should remember that doctors are experts in disease and they're not experts in wellness, um, which uh -huh. is exactly the point you're making. And, you know, also in talking to some other nutrition experts, most regular physicians have like one week of nutrition education in school. So that's not even like something in their yeah. tool. That's not even something in their toolkit. That's not even something that they have any expertise to advise people on. It's so frustrating. And it's really hard because it, nutrition is the building block of everything. It just, it, I, I think that there needs to be a movement in this country. And it's like, it's sort of like you guys did with the standing desks. We, we need an entire movement to get doctors in you know, the medical schools to recognize nutrition. And we need to, that needs to be a movement too, you know, where uh, we start teaching everybody, all these doctors about nutrition so they can be schooled on it. So when we go in to uh, ask them how to fix ourselves, they can help us. Your documentary voice has been so strong around advocacy. Prescription Thugs is, <clears throat> is intensely personal. I mean, you talk about uh, your brother's death and, and his struggle with pain and addiction in that process, you 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 expose sort of your own personal struggles and you know falling into the same traps your dad your brother did in spite of knowing what was going on. Uh -huh. I feel like that Cranum, your new documentary, is an, is an allegory for the fact that we are, as especially as a medical community, are not doing a good job of helping people understand the mechanisms of pain, the components of pain, yeah. the subjective hey. experience of pain. Am I right there? Think about it. How ridiculous is it? that this guy, me, this, you know, filmmaker, just a normal everyday guy has to be the one that's guiding our society on something that can cure millions of people's pain. Why me? Why? Why is it me? Like there should be a gigantic movement behind this plan. You know what I'm saying? And the fact that I'm the only one with the balls to step up and say, hey, you know what? This really works. This really helps people. I'm going to stand behind it. And then, uh, I'm like, who's with me? And I turn around and all the people that were with me, you know, aren't with me anymore because they're scared of the FDA or they're scared of the DEA or, you know, whatever reason. But if you look at it logistically and you think about it, right, there have been so many trials, so many people, like so many people's lives on the line, so many clinical trials where millions and billions of dollars have been spent. There's been so much testing. 
and so much prodding and poking and all this stuff, right? And 200,000 people have still died from opioids. So with all this shit that they've done to sort of safeguard it and protect against it, make sure it's safe, it's not safe. Now, on the other hand, we have a plant that's never killed anybody. And we're, we're sitting there scratching our heads going, hmm, I wonder if we should let people have this. Nah, you know what? We're not going to let people have this, but we'll let them keep having the opioids. It's almost like, I mean, it's just insanity. It is, it is definitely a choice. We've made a choice that we are allow, we're, we're going to allow people to die that way. We've made a choice. That it's a, that we've made a choice that it's okay. We've made a choice that it's okay for them to kill my brother. It's okay for them to kill the people that you love. It's okay. We've made that choice and we've accepted that. And that's really hard. It's a hard pill to swallow, no pun intended. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that is a really hard pill to swallow. I just wanted to go back, if I could, just a few sort of um, questions for our listeners about Kratom, because I know there is some controversy about it, which you touched on it. But um, and it sounds like it's worked really well for you for pain and that you take it every sure. morning, like in a capsule form. Is it addictive? And if mm -hmm. so, how addictive? OK, so um, it's a it's a weird answer, right? So the simple answer is, yes, it can be uh, addictive just like any other substance on the planet. Um, so there's, like there's obviously, yeah. So uh, it is about as addictive as coffee or nutmeg, they say. So I haven't had- You can get addicted to a, nutmeg? I guess so, but I haven't seen anybody with a bad nutmeg <laughs> like running around jonesing for uh, gingerbread or something, right? So I haven't seen any of, any of that stuff. But uh, yeah, it seems like um, that it could be addictive. Now, there are some people that claim that they get super addicted to it and had all sorts of serious- withdrawal issues. The problem with that is, it's like, you know, it's the internet. And, um, I tried to reach out to people to get them in my movie to, I wanted people that really took it, really got addicted to say, Hey, look, man, I just want to warn you. I've taken this, I've gotten addicted and, uh, it's, it really helps, but I got addicted. I could not find one person. And then I went on Reddit and I put out a post and I had all this reaction to, but not one person would talk to me in the movie. And then also I, put it on uh, Instagram and on Instagram, a lot of people say, Hey bro, that shit's addictive. You know, they'll go crazy. I say, okay, cool. Why don't you come in my movie and talk about it? I think it's all these people that are online that are against Kratom <laughs> that are posting this kind of stuff. I don't think that people are really getting addicted to it. And um, there may be some cases where people are having a hard time with it because people abuse anything. Um, but I don't think it's as big of a, a problem as it's been made out to be sort of in, in my eyes. Um, I just haven't, I haven't seen it. Um, but I also want to be honest about it because I don't want anybody taking something that is going to hurt them. So as far as addiction goes, I would say hundred percent without a shadow of a doubt that it is, it's nowhere near anything like an opioid addiction. If anything, it's going to be like a coffee addiction. So like, somebody's afraid of being addicted to coffee, then maybe they should be afraid of Kratom. Otherwise, I don't think there should be any, you know, fear surrounding it. Also, like, how long is it going to take you to get addicted? It's going to take at least, at, at very minimum, at least a month. So um, for somebody to just, like, try it because they have pain, I think it's totally worth that, that trade-off. And like I said, I've never actually seen anybody addicted. I've just heard about it, and I, I think it's all kind of BS. Yeah, just hearsay. Well, I think uh, one of the hallmarks of all your movies, from my perspective, is sort of your curiosity and openness. And I've never seen any of your movies come across as dogmatic about any issue. You know, it seems like you always approach I, it as a curious explorer. 
you know, I, there's two sides of every issue. And like, I've thrown up on Kratom. I've taken too much of it. I've gotten sick from it. You know, um, the reason I do that, I've gotten sick on a ketogenic diet. I've gotten sick on a carnivore diet. I ended up in a hospital a couple of weeks ago because I was experimenting with adding fruit back into my diet and I ended up like eating way too much fruit and it killed my stomach and I had to go to the ER. So I definitely put myself, do I don't that do, again. yeah, you know, like I don't do stupid things on purpose to say, let me see if this works. But <laughs> obviously with Kratom, when I'm doing a movie, I'm like, okay, I took 10. What if I took 20, you know, and then I threw up. So I'm like, well, you don't take 20. You know, that's well, a bad, bad I, move. I think what's um, going to the, but we need a couple of Guinea pigs out there if we're going to get anywhere. That's right. Know? And I think, I think if we use Kratom as the, as the poster child for alternative therapies for pain, which we think aren't working. I mean, we know unequivocally that opioids are destroying America, ruining lives. It's backed by billion dollar industries, trillion dollars you know, at stake. You know, if Kratom you're saying is, Hey, understood un, poorly understood, it should be researched yeah. and it should, I it should be, it should be part of a, a greater schema as one so, more tool to manage. Cause you're not just so we're clear with this is not, we're not a pro Kratom, you know, podcast thing here. And you're, and you're no. just saying, Hey, I have had problems with opiates. I still have chronic pain. What are the tools available to me? And that's the conversation think, we want to have here. I, I, I really think um, for your listeners, somebody who has no experience with Kratom, uh, and wants to know what it feels like. I, I compare, I call it daytime weed. It's weed that you use during the day. Like when you don't want to be stoned, but you want to, you, you want to feel good. Like, you know, it gives that feeling where you'll feel good, but you're not, um, you're not impaired. It doesn't impair you. And I think that's really important in a workplace environment. Um, Mark and I, we call it pre-work, pre-workout because, you know, uh, you take it before you go to work, before you go into the office. Uh, it gives you creative ideas. It helps me a lot with my filmmaking, just being creative, but it doesn't slow me down and it doesn't make me feel, uh, I don't feel weird in front of people like, oh my God, this guy's going to know I'm on Kratom. Um, but it's, it's like that feel. It's like, um, I, I explain it to people when you have like two beers, you go to a party, obviously I don't drink anymore, but when you go to a party and you have like two beers and you're very talkative and very social, that's what Kratom feels like before before the bad part hits, you know? Do, and, you, um, do you feel like people go to work on prescription pain meds all the time? Well, yeah, people <laughs> all, all day. People are, people I just, are I just wanted to give a counterpoint there because I think we are out in the world playing professional sports, engaged in yeah, activities oh, yeah. of daily living, and, but we're just on really, really significant pain medicines. And again, coming back to this idea that you know, people are looking for solutions and perhaps we know, are not doing um, a good job. There's a news anchor. I can't remember who it is, but I, I just found out recently there was a news anchor and she takes three Xanax a day, <laughs> three, like one Xanax a day would knock me out, even at the height of my drug use, you know, and that just shows you like she takes that to go on the air and talk and she's completely fine. And I'm going like that is a lot of drugs, you know, for somebody to be that sedated to have to be able to get on TV to do her job like that's insane, but that's like the world that we live right. in. That's now. just you know, normal, I think, these days. It's normal. Yeah, it's yeah. just a norm. And it, it wasn't even a story about her drug use. It was like just a story of like, it was just her talking. Like, right, just I how she three is... Xanax every day to get on TV. Right. It's you how know? she functions on no sleep and not being able to take care of her health otherwise. I mean, it's crazy. Okay. So you touched on this briefly, and I just want to go back to it because I think it's important. But I, I think you mentioned, and then I read that. The FDA has issued a public health health advisory on Kratom. The sure. DEA has had 
some has been dabbling in it and they're trying to make it a schedule one drug, which means there's no accepted medical use. And back to our original conversation and just how crazy um, this whole opioid epidemic is and how nobody is proposing any alternatives. I mean, does this mean that no one even can do medical research on Kratom? What's the status of that whole situation yeah, right it, now? Um, so right now it is legal. Um, it's illegal in six states. And um, those states are trying to overturn it. One of the um, senators from Wisconsin, where it's illegal, Senator Pocan, um, he actually uh, is is fighting to to make it legal in Wisconsin again. He's also fighting to keep it uh, legal nationally. There's a bunch of people on board. Actually, Bernie Sanders is um, an advocate of it. He's on board. It's not like he takes it every day or anything, but he's definitely you know um, advocating for it. I think that um, there's a doctor, Christopher McCurdy, and Dr. Christopher McCurdy is at a University of Florida, and I just got him uh, a lot of money to uh, research this. So I think we're going to do really well. I mean, you know, the beauty of being able to uh, make movies and reach out to people is that I can, you know, take a hundred. I, I can basically make a couple phone calls and get a hundred thousand dollars put into a scientist's pocket to do a, a research study on Kratom. And to me, that's awesome. You know, like I don't have the money to give, but I have the, I know the people, you know? And so, um, that's, that's my job is pulling people together and getting people to, um, go investigate this because we need more studies on it. First of all, like the one thing that we really need to do is, um, what they call a simple safety study where, um, we just prove, we already know that it's safe from anecdotal evidence of 200 plus years, but we need to actually prove that on paper. And so that's one of the first tests that they'll probably actually do. And that's a test that'll help keep it legal because uh, with all supplements, they don't have to work. They just can't be dangerous. <laughs> that's, a, that's the thing you have to test for. You don't have to test if it works. You just have to make sure it's not dangerous. And so that's one of the first things we're gonna do with the University of Florida. We also have at the University of Florida, a greenhouse with over 200 trees. And they're like they're only, the only kratom trees in America and um, that's sort of, uh, we, we started a nonprofit called A Leaf of Faith after the movie. And basically um, through the course of the movie, um, just like anything else, we're going through this journey, making a movie, we met a lot of awesome people. We met Dr. Christopher McCurdy from the University of Florida. We met several other Kratom vendors that had uh, companies that were legitimate that are selling Kratom. We met a lot of people in government that are with Kratom. So we, uh, developed a nonprofit organization to help keep it legal. And it's called a leaf of faith. And like all those people be involved in sort of keeping it legal moving forward. So beyond just being a um, filmmaker, I'm turning into an activist, I guess. Chris, you've always been an activist. Hate to, hate to bring it to you, bro. Um, hey. <laughs> you know, whether it's been shining, you know, it's interesting that uh, trajectory of your films, you know, starting off with looking at the fact that, you know, the, the athletes that we we're holding up and the superstars that we were holding up as our, as our models were not necessarily doing it in naturally indigenously, that there was a kind of whole model and movement around performance enhancing substances that supported our best athletics and how we sort of turned a blind eye as a culture. And then, you know, uh, I think one of your lesser known works, that's one of our favorite things is trophy kids. I love uh -huh. that movie, which is really, I think anecdotal for, almost how you get into prescription drugs, be, prescription thugs, because what you see is that there's a drive and a fetishization of sporting that happens 
from the highest levels of sport that really sort of filters down and 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 makes toxic kids sports. Yeah, and then, then also like what are the what are the consequences? Like that's if right. you're not if you're not good at sports, you're not successful. Like what's the consequences then? It's like it's a shitty life. You know, I think that my movies point out a <laughs> that's lot right. of things about failure and like it's okay to fail because if you're not the best, then like what else do you get? Like, you know what I mean? It's like we're all striving for too much. I think if we look at chronic pain in America, particularly, but around the world, but in America, a lot of times, you know, pain isn't good or bad. And we know that it's a, it's a very subjective experience of the brain. That's highly dependent on a lot of factors, right? Not necessarily just damage, but whatever it is, the experience of serious debilitating pain is real and really crippling for people. Mm -hmm. As you've started on this conversation about Kratom, ultimately, has that opened up the door even more to talk for you about chronic pain? Because this is not a conversation about opiates in America, like prescription thugs and this movie. It's also about how we are thinking about chronic pain. And if that's the case, that you've become this sort of de facto expert and repository, what do you need to tell people who are listening who are in pain or have a family member in pain, Chris? Yeah, I, you know, I um, this movie has made me, uh, it's weird because I live with pain my whole life, but I never actually thought about other people's pain. I, I would selfishly only think about my own pain. And what this movie really did was force me to look at other people. Like I met a lady uh, in Sacramento who had one leg amputated, was in a wheelchair, um, had uh, you know a brace on her arm and she couldn't move one of her arms and she had all these problems, you know? And um, just in talking to her and she's telling me how she's crying saying, I need this plant without this plant. I was going to kill myself on opioids. You know, I was going crazy. And when I met that lady, that's when everything sort of changed for me was like, this isn't about me. This isn't about my pain. And then all of a sudden all my pain kind of went away. <laughs> I think that, um, that when you meet people that are worse than you, that, that have a, a worse issue and they don't even see it as a worse issue. She's like, I'm fine. I'm like, no, you're not fine. You need this. <laughs> like, you you need that. Like, what it did in my head is cemented to me. Like, you ever, um, you know, I'm sure you've had this happen to you. You're, you're doing something. You're working towards something. And you're, you question yourself. Am I doing the right thing? And that lady with a resounding yes said, you're doing the right thing without saying a word. You know, and that really sort of changed me. But, like, being more empathetic towards people, being sympathetic towards their pain, uh, made me want to have a bigger voice in this uh, space, you know, because I'm saying, you know, people look at me, the problem is, my biggest problem is that I've overcome, in a way, I've overcome the problem to a point where people are like, fuck you, you're not in pain. Like, I just deadlifted 500 pounds. <laughs> so why is somebody going to look at me and say, oh, you, uh, oh, who cares if you can't get out of bed in the morning? You deserve it. You deadlifted 500 pounds. But I, I used to do that and nothing ever hurt. You know, so, uh, I, you know, I'm in a lot of pain, but I think I've, um, I've gotten to a point where people look at me and they don't, they're like, oh, you don't even look like you're in pain anymore. And I'm like, well, that's a good thing. I don't look like I'm in pain anymore, but it's still something I still have to deal with every day. So I kind of like, in a way it's a, it's a catch 22, but I kind of pride myself on not looking like I'm beat up and in pain anymore. Cause I know for a long time, I really did walk around hobbled and, and grizzled and beat up. But the one thing I, I should say to, to your um, question is like, it's, it's only made me want to make my voice louder in this space. It's only made me want to like stand up and shout more 
And it's all, it's all, it's only made me want to help people get out of pain more because I realize that if, um, if somebody wants to get in shape, you know, you look at somebody and they're overweight, um, you know, they have, they have an issue with their weight and they want to fix that or whatever, and whatever issue, they, whatever relationship, whatever issue somebody wants to fix in their life, they can't fix it until they're out of pain. And so in helping people like that's sort of your first, that's the first thing is like, I'll get them out of pain first and then whatever else is ailing them will be able to be fixed. My mom just went into surgery today for her back. And I'm hoping that when her back fixes up, then we can get her eating the right things to bring the inflammation down and get her back to normal. But like, I can't start her on a diet before she gets the surgery. You know, it's just like, that's, it's like one step at a time and things are too difficult. So it's like, I'm just trying to go one step at a time with, with her. But I think that getting people out of pain is the first step towards, you know, getting the, getting them to fix whatever problem they have, you know? So uh, this may be sort of an extension of Kelly's question, but as you were working on A Leaf of Faith, and I know the sort of centerpiece of the movie is Kratom, but did you speak with or talk to other people who are finding other successful alternative pain therapies? We, uh, not necessarily, like, we didn't really go into other, you know, other areas of, like, where, you know, other areas of pain, you know, research. Most of that stuff is in the opioid space, um, there are a couple drugs that are being um, that are being put out right now that are um, that are painkillers that are like non supposed to be like non opioid non addictive. The reason that I'm not interested in any of them is because they're drugs, you know. So kratom's a plant; it comes from nature. It's natural. You don't have to do anything to it. You don't have to adulterate it. So I don't. I'm not really interested if they come out with something that's better than ibuprofen because you know ibuprofen and Tylenol. One thing that people need to know is like. The, the one here's why I think kratom is the biggest blockbuster plant of you know of all time is that um, when people go and do the research on what ibuprofen does to your gut microbiome and and to other things uh, you know for men for their uh, testicles uh, in in young men it's been shown to uh, create a lot of problems so when you start looking at like what ibuprofen and Tylenol do to people I think that's where kratom is really going to come up is like as an alternative to actually those painkillers, you know, which are everyday painkillers that people use all the time. And uh, we, we, we never talk about them being an issue, but I have three friends that have had kidney transplants, three of them, three people I personally know have had kidney transplants from using too many non-steroidal anti-inflammatory painkillers. And so Kratom could have avoided that as well, you know? So I look at it as like, I think it's gonna, um, you know, it's going to come up in popularity in, in all sorts of areas. It sounds like, I mean, we're, we're not, the heart of this is we're not having a, doing a good job as a culture to say pain is a normal part of the experience. We need to look at other venues of managing our, our, our experience of pain. Exactly. You know, your brother has a walk. He walks every day. We know that this is a, is a big deal around, you know, ameliorating chronic pain. Sleep is a big deal nutrition environment support let me ask you this if you had to go back in time can you even remember when you used to be pain-free and can you see a link between do you remember sort of the environment in which the flame of some of these things started to turn up do you remember that do you, i mean were you were you the, your most stressed documentary self yeah. like what happened because i think that's really useful because otherwise we oftentimes feel like we're just completely blindsided by this really, really severe chronic pain, and yet we 
it's difficult for us to go back and say, hey, look, okay, there are cofactors around environment that I could have maybe ameliorated some of the severity of this. It all happened for me so young that I don't think there's anything I could have done about it. Like I was um, at a point where I was too young to know and be able to make choices. You know, when you're like, you know, 12 and 13 years old and you're playing pop Warner football and you, you know that everything hurts, but you have no idea why you're 12 years old, nothing, things shouldn't hurt, you know, but I was always in pain when I was young, you know, um, I'd always complain about my hips and my back and my knees and everything to my parents um, ever since I was a kid. So I don't, I don't know what it's like to not be in pain. You know, I have no idea. Um, it's, I've had arthritis ever since I was young, um, been in pain ever since I was young. I, just, I have no idea what it, what it feels like to be normal, you know? And so um, it's hard because uh, some days, you know, when uh, it, some, like, it's weird. I tell people you have good days and bad days. Some days you feel great and, you know, you're, you're like high on the hog and you're telling everybody like, it must be my diet, my training. Like I'm awesome. You know, everything's great. And then the next day you'll just have such a sad, crappy day that, you know, it's, it's the complete opposite. So you're saying so, the key, um, the one thing is that we should just have fewer sad, crappy days. That would definitely help. Well, yeah, I think the way to avoid it though, too, is um, being consistent. So like a lot of times, like what we do is when we feel really good, we, we go have a Mark Bell day and we go deadlift a thousand pounds. And that's what I did the other day. Like I went and deadlifted 515. The next day I was, I was grizzled beyond belief because I went too, too, I did too much too soon. You know, I should have waited. This, this has never happened to me working out with Mark Bell. <laughs> yeah, I have never, yeah. you know, this has never happened to Matt Vincent. This has never happened to any of our friends where we show up at Mark Bell's gym and then overreach. So can I just, yeah. tell, can I tell you, Chris, that before Kelly went to that powerlifting meet that you did with him, I told we Kelly, got into a fight. We got into a fight because I told Kelly that I was I really wanted him to be careful and not hurt himself. And he was offended and said I wasn't being supportive enough of his I... powerlifting. Um, mind you, the last time before that, he did a powerlifting meet with Mark Bell. He tore his hamstring. No, what didn't tell my hamstring or whatever. I he, strained a hip, but he messed himself up badly. But the cameras oh, were there. It was actually Chris filming the shoe commercial. Yeah, it was that shoe and commercial. Do you remember that? Chris? I PR, you were there. but I PR'd yeah, yeah, yeah. on. I PR'd on camera. It was he fun. PR'd, and none of you knew that anything had gone south. But um, I was sore. Anyway, okay, I got you know, a question you, here for you, Chris. Well, you, really quick, one more oh, yeah. thing. You know what? What might be detrimental about that uh, deadlift competition is uh, either Kelly or Matt Vincent broke Brian Shaw's uh, massager, and he doesn't know who did it. He's like. Kelly and Matt Vincent were messing around with it, and I got it back, and it was broke. <laughs> he's all, he's all mad. You guys, so you, you guys gotta, broke you Brian out. Shaw's massager. You got to watch out for so somebody. If, let's just say it was it, definitely it, Matt Vincent. It was definitely Matt Vincent. <laughs> First and foremost, secondary is that if you don't know who Brian Shaw is, just Google Brian Shaw, and you'll understand the, the yeah. real implications Why, of both that. Both Kelly and Matt Vincent. Because when the be strongest scared. man in the world, who's over four hundred pounds, is is He's going to have to talk about his feelings with you. That's right. <laughs> talk about it. was it. great, though, because he's like so nice that he wasn't even that mad. He's like, one of them broke it, man. I don't know. One of them did. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you gotta get, you got to better get Kelly for that. You know? Yet another reason <laughs> I, don't need to, I don't need to mark, but deadlift with Mark Bell. Um, All right, what was the next question? Okay, so Sorry. I saw in the movie trailer that 90% of the world's opiates are taken here in the U.S., which shows me that we're doing a really shitty job. And it reminded me of this great article or op-ed piece I read a couple weeks ago in the New York Times about an expat 
uh, American living in Munich and she had a big surgery. And this whole article was about how she was so shocked and felt scared when she left her surgery without being prescribed any opioids, no Vicodin, no Oxy, nothing. And basically her doctor sent her off packing with nothing and said, if you need to take a Tylenol, but mostly what you need to actually do is rest and actually listen to your own body. Um, and, you know, as part of making this movie or in your own experience, have you figured out why we're sucking so bad at this in this country and what other countries are doing that is better than us? Oh, you know, I don't know, but I actually feel the same way. Uh, if I go to the doctor and I don't leave with a prescription, I'm kind of mad <laughs> because I think that that's I'm serious. And it, this is with all the movies I've done with everything I've done. If I go to a doctor, I'm still expecting that the only thing that that doctor can do for me is give me drugs. So I get that. I like, you know, go to the doctor because it's like um, if you think about it, some people you'll say, have you gone to the doctor? They'll say, what are they going to do about it? And you say, I, I don't know. Probably nothing. Give you a pill. <laughs> you know, like we, we don't really know what, what are they going to do, you know? And so, um, yeah, that's what we're doing a bad job at is uh, I think we don't know when somebody gets diagnosed with something, there really isn't any other way to fix them. It's only the only thing they've learned was to, um, I heard somebody explain it the other day. I think it was on Rob Wolf's podcast, but it was like, they're explaining how like a doctor, all they're doing is playing like a match game. Like it's literally what it is. Like they're matching up the disease to the pill, you know? And it's like, oh, which disease can be matched to what pill? And if that's not there, then it's hard to diet, like really diagnose everything. Obviously, it's a lot more complex than that. But I think that the, that component of not knowing about nutrition um, leaves just way too much to be desired. It seems like it's such a missing link in our medical community, you know, that we that, that that's something that's a component that we need in order to be able to have the doctors be able to help us. Because like you said, I, I get scared as well when a doctor will send you away with with nothing because you're like, well, how's that going to help me? <laughs> you know, but we need to also learn. And what I've also come to learn is that uh, natural things do have a lot of power. That was also a thing I've learned sort of on this journey recently is that things that do come from nature uh, do have a lot of power. I actually learned that your food is more powerful than any drug on the planet. Um, but you have to use food as a whole like not as a component, like there's not one single food that you can eat to become Superman, but by eating a bunch of foods in the right succession, you can become Superman, you know? So I think that that's, that's a key thing to, to know. Like if you want to be awesome, there's a way to eat to, to be awesome. There's a way to, to get you there. You know, there's a way to get you lean, mean, and, uh, and strong and, um, and you don't need drugs to do it. You know, I've, had way better results now than I've ever had in my entire life taking any drugs or doing any, you know, anything else. Yeah. This is called the power of meat and vegetables. Um, it really of, is. One of the things yeah, you're, you're talking about is there actually is a formal term for this. And this is called this biopsychosocial metal, uh, model of medicine. And that is that we are co complex psycho social beings and mm -hmm. that, what we're, a lot of times what we've done is really focused on the bio model that you know, we, we, we have imaging so we can take a picture of it. We yeah. must be damaged tissues. Uh -huh. But what we know is that, you know, at some point, you know, 50% of us early on in, in our life will have 
changes in our tissues for whatever reason that will be asymptomatic, but, but significant if we took pictures of them, if we took x-rays or MRIs. And this, mm-hmm. this, these studies have been done ad nauseum, ad infinitum, where we see they pull spines out of people in car crashes who have, looks like they have terrible disc disease and, and, um, you know, and herniated discs and no, no one ever complained of back pain, right? So we know that there's something sometimes that sensitizes us to pain, that, that we get some, some misunderstanding between what our brain thinks is a problem and not. And what I hear around you talking about nutrition is this component of things that is, we have to be having a greater conversation about, about, about being in communities, about having a tribe, about, you know, feeling safe, about, you know, not, I mean, even just the level of self-medication we see in our adults that we work with between coffee and red wine to sleep. I mean, we really are sort of radically out of phase in terms of how we're thinking about creating a more resilient person that's, sure. that's more able to handle pain, which is a common, like universal experience to the human animal. Yeah. And like, and I like what you said, like we, we do that, uh, Mark and I, are very into doing things by community, by doing things like pulling other people up, you know, with us and taking them along for the ride with us. And I think that's a big thing. It's a reason why we, um, not only did we like launch a diet for ourselves, but we said, oh, we're gonna start a war on carbs. Now we don't mean that all carbs are bad and blah, 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 but we mean like, look, the refined sugars and the refined carbohydrates and flours and all this things, it makes it easy when you get people fired up, you know, when, you, when they have a mission, they have a goal. And I think that that's, um, that's important too. And it's important to, um, when you're trying to help people or, or teach people is, um, is to get them to be part of something, you know? And I think that that's what we're trying to do is like get, get people to get on board, you know? Yeah. And I think what you're hinting at is if I understand right, is the, that this is a complex problem and opiates are just a band aid across a problem and a much bigger systemic, you know, uh, solution, which is we've got to sleep more. We've got to be less stressed. We've got to eat better foods. We need to move our bodies more. Those things we can't commoditize. You can't put that in a bottle and sell it. And I think that, as you pointed out around just the economics of this thing, is one of the reasons that these are sometimes not very sexy solutions. It's very interesting that all the things that you just listed are like the things that you don't do when you take pills too. Those are the things that you stop doing. Like you stop getting outside. You stop being part of the community. You stop, like you, you literally shut down every one of those things. You don't sleep anymore. You don't eat good anymore. Everything that you said, you go the complete opposite direction on opioids too. So that's interesting that you said like building those things are what bring you back because they're, those are the exact things that leave you when you start the addiction. And those are the exact four things that you need to bring back into your life to, to get back, you know? So it's really fascinating in that fact that, um, you know, drugs will just, they'll just take you out and it'll take you out of life, take you out of the, out of whatever your goal was, you know? And that's another thing that I didn't really realize. Um, when I took those drugs, I didn't realize it until I watched this thing called pot versus pills with Sanjay Gupta the other day. And in the thing with Sanjay Gupta, he explained how these, um, opioid painkillers, they actually mess with your prefrontal cortex and they'll mess it up for good. And they basically make you make decisions that you normally wouldn't make. And I didn't think that, I didn't know that was a thing. 
you know? And so I was wondering why people made bad decisions on opioid painkillers and would do things that they don't normally do. But that's exactly why, because it, it changes that prefrontal cortex of your brain, which I don't know a whole lot about, but it makes sense to me now that it's, it's completely allowing you to do things that you normally would never do. And just knowing that I think is a powerful way to say, don't do drugs. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, I saw this interesting thing recently and it made me think of you and your work, but it was basically sort of a list of uh, sort of with the most to least things that will make you live the longest in life. And I thought it was mm -hmm. really interesting because the top two were like loving community and family relationships. And then the second was friendships and loving, you know, community and friendships. And, you know, way farther down on the list were like diet and uh, exercise that actually having that community around you. And you make such a good point that the moment you start taking pills, it's like those things start going out of your life. Um, yeah. We probably have to wrap this up soon, but I'm wondering um, what your what your hopes are for the release of A Leaf of Faith. Well, we're going to release it on uh, May 29th. It'll come out on iTunes and everything. And then um, probably three months after that, there's usually like a little window. It'll go to Netflix or Amazon. That's technically what's going to happen to it. What I hope happens to it overall is I hope people get the message. And I hope that, um, you know, what I would really like to happen for it is I, I would like it for it to like hit in a way where it kind of goes viral, where we're just, you know, I, I think that if the right people get their hands on it, I'll give you an example. I got a phone call the other day um, that I wasn't expecting, and it was uh, Sylvester Stallone. And Sylvester Stallone was like, hey, yo, I'm going to film you know, Creed 2, and my brother told me about Kratom, right? So he was all jazzed on it, got all pumped up on it. We sent him a bunch of Kratom, and then he read online that like it could be addictive, and he got scared off. So if the right person gets it like that, you know, uh, Stallone, he's tried it and he liked it. But what I'm saying is if, uh, if he didn't get scared off and he went out and started talking about it, that's what we need to happen. Uh, that will happen. You know, there's people um, in the news that I've been trying to get to all sorts of people like Lady Gaga was talking about fibromyalgia. I'm like this will get you'll feel great. You won't even know you have fibromyalgia if you start taking this. So I think that um, the right celebrity the right person will um, get this in their hands and, and use it, and then I think it's game over. I think we're gonna we're gonna change the pain change the pain game is my goal. You know, there has been some shift. Um, WADA, the World Anti Doping Agency, just pulled CBD, which is the nine non psychoactive component to hemp and cannabis, out of banned substances. So, you know, I think that on the the ground level, there definitely is, there's a, another a, great plan. That's yeah. right. Another great plan. But a, 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 there is a ground level that we're realizing that we have to give people a template of solutions and actionable behaviors besides just stripping out the thing that people think is helping, but we know doesn't actually work on chronic pain. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous how much, uh, how many medicines, how many medications we have for chronic pain, but how few, few of them actually work. And the things that work are in that alternative space. So true. And so uh, obviously A Leaf of Faith is out May 29th on iTunes, but I have a feeling you probably have your hands in some other things. Before we let you go, what's next for Chris Bell? Yeah, so Mark and I, my brother Mark and I, have been working on a documentary that is about nutrition. Uh, we haven't really come to any conclusion yet because it's an ongoing process. I've done a ketogenic diet. I've done a carnivore diet. 
you know, we do our, our what we call the war on carbs, where we just eat like really low carbs for a while. We've, we've sort of been experimenting with a little bit of everything and trying to find out, um, I think what will ultimately happen is we're gonna try to come out with a movie that finds some truths about nutrition, some, common, some commonalities that we should all just know that will help the world eat better, you know, and, and hopefully, because like what we want to do, and we're not sure yet, I don't want to be too long-winded about it, but we just want to make a movie that's inclusive. I feel the biggest problem in nutrition, health and fitness is that everybody's so exclusive and like you can't be part of their little club or their little team. And then, um, you know, it's like, it's either this, you know, it's either black or white, either you're keto or you're not. And we don't want to be like that. We want everybody to be able to get in shape because the truth is we're all different and we can figure out the ways to get there differently. You know, it's not, it doesn't have to be the same. Chris, I got to tell you, um, I'm so grateful for your own personal struggle and I'm so grateful you are a brilliant, brilliant filmmaker because, you know, it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure to watch, learn, participate. Um, you have just opened so many eyes and I hope people hear this and then go back to some of your older works just to see kind of how you're thinking and how you're, how you're applying this interesting curiosity that's really born out of your own personal experiences. Um, you know, we are bell fans for life. Uh, uh your you, last conversation about vulnerability and addiction with Joe Rogan was so important. And, um, I just want to point everyone at your work and say, thank you once again for being so, uh, transparent and vulnerable about your experience with us because if we're going to take on a conversation of chronic pain what we know first and foremost is that we have to tell people about its mechanisms and about what works and what doesn't work so that they can begin to have some agency of control and this and you are part of this conversation thank you man i really appreciate it and i uh i appreciate you guys and i wanted to say i love you guys and i really appreciate you guys because uh whether you know it or not, all the, so many little things I do every day go back to you, you know, so they, they go back to you and they go back to like, hey, the, this idea that you have that you taught me a long time ago is that anybody can fix themselves. And I really, truly believe that. And I got that from you. Thanks, Chris. Chris Bell, we're so grateful for you. We love you, man. All right. Love you guys. Talk soon. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to The Ready State. If you like what you're hearing, check out all of our episodes here or at mobilitywad.com. The Ready State is the podcast of mobilitywad.com, where we've assembled the world's most comprehensive database of guided movement mechanics and mobility videos, all with the goal to help improve performance and eliminate pain. Each motivated by the simple idea that all human beings should be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under mobilitywad. That's W-O-D as in workout of the day. Till next time, cheers, everyone. You got it. You better stop it. You got it. You got it. Kelly Starrett is a New York Times bestselling author of Becoming a Supple Leopard and Ready to Run. He's a coach, a physical therapist, an athlete, and an innovator who works with elite athletes as well as everyday people who just want to be healthier and happier in their lives. Juliette Starrett is the co-founder and CEO of both San Francisco CrossFit and Mobility Wad, co-founder of StandUpKids.org, a writer, an entrepreneur, and a world champion athlete. Our theme music was provided by Rogue Wave. You got it! You better stop it!